clipboard in 15-minute increments. Uh, pick a time that you would like to come and pray. We'll start that one over here with Mark. And we have a couple other announcements. This one is a good one. Come on, Diane. Tell us about it. All right. My goal is to get people moving in this church. A lot of you already do. But this is just going to be a fun event. We've done it one other time a year ago. And we're going to, um, and because um, Lena was willing to run with me. And so we had a great time. And we just invited everybody else along and everybody liked it. So we are going to meet at the Iron Horse Trail on Beach Street at First Christian Church. And if you need to know where that is, you can Google it or I can help you find it. Iron Horse Trail, it's dedicated on a map if you Google it. We're going to meet at 9 o'clock on May 5th. And we are, you don't have to run. You can walk. You can walk for two minutes. You can walk for 20 minutes. It is all up to you, the pace, how fast you want to do it, how long you want to go. But we're going to have a meeting at 9. And It seems to me like uh, if ever there were a need for prayer, it's now. Do you agree? And uh, we need to come together to pray. You're probably wondering why I have this bag in my hand, right? In, in the bag, I have some goodies. And we've done something a little different on the back of the bulletin this morning. If you did not get one, there's still some over here. There are some fill-in-the-blanks. We don't usually do this. And I thought to give you an incentive to fill them in, that I, I have some of my favorite goodies. I have some with almonds and some just Reese and whatever. I started to say kids. Uh, fill in the blank, but you can define kids, and if, you, uh, if you're a kid and can manage to fill in the blanks. So, a couple of my grandkids are in here, Josh and Luke. If you can, if you can get the blanks filled in as we go through, um, you can beat the lunch by getting a Reese cup or something. You with me? If you need a bulletin, go ahead and take a minute and grab one. And, uh, in fact... Josh, you might bring, a, or Luke, bring a couple back and see if anybody needs them, would you? But track with me, if you will. And because I think this morning, not only is prayer important, but there's another subject this morning that is really, really important to us. Over the years, uh, I have read a lot of books. Probably some of you read more. Maybe no more, no less. Some of you are avid readers. But not all books are valuable. Have you noticed that? Uh, some books, you say, why in the world did I read that? Usually, my commitment is if I start a book, I glance through it, and if I start it, I finish it. And I like to only read one book at a time. I, I can't read five books. My, my mind isn't big enough to get around the content of all these books at once. So I try to read one book and finish it. And usually, if I start it, I finish it. Sometimes they're not worth reading. I, we had a substantial library in our last church, and I put a note uh, on a, a couple shelves and just to remind people that not everything written in a book is true, right? And even Christian books. And I hate to, to burst your bubble, but not everything that you Google, not every answer is right. Did you know that? Some of them are wrong. Some of the information you get is just wrong. So it brings us, when we pick up a Bible, 
I, I think we ask ourselves sometimes, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I do sometimes, is why do I need the Bible? Why, why do I need a Bible? What's in this Bible that's so important? Why do I need it? And this morning we're going to look at a couple verses particularly that I think help us to know why we need the Bible. The Bible isn't just any book. It's a unique book. And it's God's revelation of himself. What we know about God comes directly through the Bible. And let me just give you a, a, a quick personal testimony. I was not raised uh, in a home that the, where the Bible was prevalent, was conspicuous. There was a family Bible, and my mom and dad kind of respected that Bible, and they never disrespected Scripture, but I do not remember ever once sitting down and reading the Bible with them. I just don't. I don't think it ever happened. So the Bible was not part of my life, and I really didn't have any idea what it said. I knew secondhand some of the stories from the Bible. I probably knew about Noah and probably knew about Jonah. Doesn't everybody? I mean, don't, at some point, occasionally I'd go to a Sunday school class. But I knew very little. And when I was uh, in my teens, junior in high school, I started attending a little church. And I honestly can tell you that I did not know a thing about the gospel. I don't believe I understood the gospel. And the first time that I really heard, I mean really heard, the gospel, uh, there was a gentleman who had been in Africa who came to be with us. And he was speaking, and you know what a, a prophet is? A prophet's from somewhere over there. A prophet can't be from somebody local, right? It has to be from some foreign country. So we listen to people who are from somewhere else. But he came in and he spoke, and, and I remember hearing and hearing John 3.16 for the first time, and I didn't know anything more. But when I heard that Christ died for my sins, I knew that I had a need. I mean, I just knew when I knew that I'd sinned. That was pretty obvious to me. And when I heard for the first time that Christ died for my sins... I don't know that I accepted it at that moment, but it began a very short journey to faith in Christ as Savior. Now, how did that come to be? Well, it came to be when I heard the truth from Scripture. There is no place else that you'll find that truth. So why do we need the Bible? Well, we're going to talk about it. You know, when I look at books, one of the things I've learned to do, there are certain authors that I like. If Lutzer wrote it, I like it. I like Lutzer. Um, there are others, old writers, John Stott. If he wrote it, I probably like it. And I, I look for authors <clears throat> because I kind of know that if they wrote it, then I'm probably going to get something out of it. Do you, do you do that too? Certain people you just like to read after. But one of the questions, there are two really important questions that I think we should ask ourselves when we pick up a book. And the first question is, um, is it reliable? And I think that's a good test. Is this book reliable? And, and really, that's centered around this. Can I trust the author? Because some authors want to make merchandise out of you. That's their purpose. 
and others want to share something that they've found, and it's genuine, and it's real, and it's valuable. But I think, can I trust the author is a really important question to me, isn't it? You should be. And, and before I start on a book, I want confidence that I can trust the author. Well, let me give you one verse. You know it. You've heard it a thousand times probably. But it says this out of Second uh, Peter 1. Above all, most importantly, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So what is the Bible's claim for itself? The Bible's claim for itself is that it is God's book. It is God's revelation of himself, and that he's the one that initiated it. I don't fully understand the process. Um, I know that God protected it. I know that he used men's own education. He used their gifts. He used their talents. And, and they recorded it as they would write. Luke's writing is very different than John's. You'll see that. And he used their own gifting and their own backgrounds and their own education. And yet, as God alone can, he supernaturally uh, inspired them. God breathed, we'll see in a moment, into them exactly what he wanted recorded. And when I pick up the Bible, while I have, yes, it's a translation of a translation, I, I have in my hand the very word of God, and I'm confident in that. Now, let me just say that we believe in inspiration in the original. We recognize that down through the years, certain word usage has changed, and we've got to understand what the word meant originally, and sometimes that's not easy. And the process of transmission of scriptures is a science all of its own. But there's never been a book that's been scrutinized and looked over and compared like the Bible. Still is the best-selling book in all of history and always will be. Nothing compares to the Bible. No book has been so carefully superintended as the Bible because people did view it as the Word of God. And, and it's been protected. I believe that God has protected it, but I believe mankind has protected it because they revered the author, because of who wrote it. We were in St. Augustine uh, last week. Had a nice trip. We took Josh and Luke with us, a couple grandsons, and uh, we had a good time in spite of that. But... Uh, we, we saw some things in, uh, in St. Augustine that were really interesting. We went through an old fort, um, Castillo de San Marcos. I wouldn't have remembered it. I call it the fort at St. Augustine. But uh, we went through it. And that, that's, have you ever been through that? Very interesting old fort. And then we went to some other sites. You know, so many things they charge 10 or $15 to that we tried to stay away from those. We kind of go to free things. We went by uh, Ponce de Leon's uh, Fountain of Youth display. As you can see, it didn't work. Um, I, I would like to find that fountain, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, we didn't go in. I didn't even check the price because I knew it wouldn't work. <laughs> so I just stayed away from it. But one of the things we did do, we went down to Flager College. 
And if you've never been there, we, if you go to St. Augustine, you need to visit Flager College. It's Spanish architecture, and it is absolutely beautiful. Just an amazing, have you guys seen it? it isn't the, the, the architecture and the grounds extraordinary? It, it's not a huge college. But a man named Flager, who was an industrialist who built railroads on the East Coast, uh, built this college. And it, it is just an amazing college. But right across the street from the college, he built a church. And it, it was in honor of his daughter, who died at childbirth, but he built this lovely church. And, and in this church, there are 92 stained glass windows. And I'm not a very good picture taker, and it was dark in there, but you can get a sense of what they look like, these stained glass windows, 92 of them. And just to give you some scope of what these windows would have cost, they did a renovation on them, which was basically cleaning them and replacing a few panes here and there from 2002 to 2005. And the renovation cost $758,000. What would those windows have cost? Uh, I don't have any idea. They didn't have that, that number. But in the uh, 13 uh, long cylinder-type windows that were uh, scattered around, uh, there were lots of seams. But in 13 of these that were all the shape the same was the Apostles' Creed. And uh, me being who I am, as I'm walking around, I'm looking at the images, I began to just read the Apostles' Creed. And I see all of these little, there's 13 of them that, that divide up the Apostles' Creed, and I see these little sayings around, and I begin to think, I know the body from w- w- that this church belongs to. I know the church body. I, if you know what kind of church it is, you can figure that out, but... I also know that today they do not believe the Apostles' Creed. Uh, they do not believe. One of these sayings is that Christ will come, and, it, and I can't remember exactly how. He'll come to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. And, and part of the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed was all based on Scripture. Every premise within the, the Apostles' Creed was taken from Scripture, And one of the assumptions, because of what Scripture teaches, is that Jesus is coming back, right? I mean, our Bible tells us that. It's the great anticipation. We talked about hope this morning in our ABF. It's one of the great uh, facets of our hope is that one of these days Christ is coming back. I learned that from Scripture. And the larger body, I can't speak for this church, uh, although I did look through a hymnal, and I, I've recognized something in most denominational hymnals. Did you know that most denominational hymnals have taken out anything about sin and the blood? Did you realize that? Yeah, look, take a good look for yourself. Uh, I think I need to hear that, and I probably need to, to recognize I'm a sinner, don't I? in that the blood of Christ is the answer for my sin. He died for my sin. Don't I need to hear that now and then? Well, as I looked at these stained glass windows, I I just began to think, Lord, forgive me if I made a judgment that's wrong, but they don't believe this. They really don't believe what they're claiming here 
in these these beautiful windows the statement they're making they they no longer hold to they no longer treasure and what's become important is the window itself it's sad isn't it sad is that many people have left the confidence that when you pick up a bible you have in your hand the word of god they've totally left that confidence Maybe I'm talking quieter than normal this morning. I did say I took Josh and Luke on vacation. Would that be a reason? I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, you you get the point, is that I just recognize there are a lot of people that have forgotten that no prophecy in Scripture ever came by a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. But... Prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And I, I still believe that. I believe we pick up our Bible, we're hearing from God. So we don't worship a book. Let me just, kind of a disclaimer, is that I don't worship the book. I worship the author of the book. Uh, and I think sometimes we can get messed up on that. Sometimes when young men go off to school, they get messed up and they think they're worshiping a book. But that's not what we worship. We worship the author. You know, my wife likes flowers. If you've been to our house, you know that. And we have a, uh, a double door that goes out on a little back deck. And one side of that door is just clear glass. And so I walk up, and her, her flowers are scattered around. Right now, I think daffodils and crocus and what else is blooming? I don't know. Something else out there. Um, any other guys have trouble naming flowers? Do you, Kevin, do you, do you, Greg? Okay, I'm, I'm among friends. You know, when she says, did you see the daffodils, I just nod. Yeah, yeah I saw them. I don't know which ones they are, but I saw them. And uh, I do know a rose and a tulip. I can identify those. Are you with me? Okay. But when I walk over to that glass... I begin to look around. I, what I see, first of all, is that that glass looks like it's factory-made. It's, it's very consistent in its thickness. And I look around the edge, and it's the caulking. It's some kind of a rubber substance. And I've thought about taking a knife and scraping a little of that glass off and catching a little of the residue and taking it off and having it analyzed. Well, what's wrong with that ridiculous little scenario? That's not the purpose of the glass, Right? The purpose of the glass is to look out at all of the things that she's planted and enjoy them. Um, And I'm afraid probably sometimes I look at the glass. Well, you know, the same thing is true of the Bible. We don't read the Bible to know the Bible. We read the Bible to know the author. And that's the important thing, folks, is that we're not worshiping a book. We're worshiping the author who inspired men to write this book. And, and if you think that's obvious, well, it isn't so obvious. And I think we can get trapped in that. So there's another question, and I think this is an important question when we pick up a book. The second question is, is it useful? And this is really the question we're going to talk about this morning. Is it useful? Uh, will the book help me? Will it help me? And lots of books that we've read, you'd say, not very useful. 
Have you ever noticed that certain authors, and there's one in particular, a Christian author who does this, I won't name it because you may like him, but every book is the same. And he camouflages a little bit in the first few pages, but then as you get into the book, they're all the same. Every book's identical. And he says the same thing in maybe a little different terms, and pretty soon I say, I've already read this. I read it the last time I read your book. And I I find that a little frustrating. I want to read books that are useful to me, that are going to be helpful to me. Here's what the Bible says for itself. He says to us this morning, do your best to present yourself as an approved worker who has no reason to be ashamed, this is a paraphrase, but rightly handling the word of truth. And, and I think as we look at the passage this morning in Second Timothy, what we're going to see is the answer to the question as to whether or not the Bible's useful. You with me? Okay, so let's look at Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read a number of verses, but uh, we're going to center on just a couple of them. So why don't you track with me? I'm going to pick it up at verse 10 and read down through 4.4. If you've tracked with me and are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writing to young Timothy says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. And that word is inspired. That's the same word, breathed out. Don't you like the word inspired? Doesn't it, doesn't it make you sense the God breathing out? All of it's God breathed. And it's profitable, listen, for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so the man of God can be complete and equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Wow, that sounds familiar. We didn't saw that on one of those stained glass windows, didn't we? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I think we ought to pause a minute and just ask the Lord for help. 
Father, as we pick up your word this morning, we recognize that we're on hallowed ground. Uh, what we're reading this morning is maybe more important than we could ever realize, that we could ever know um, that we have in our hands your word. And Lord, we take it so for granted. We have Bibles all over our house, and sometimes we go weeks without picking them up. God, help us this morning. Help us to treasure your revelation. Not that we worship the book, but we want to worship you. And Lord, we learn of you through your book. Lord, help us, I pray. Speak to us through your word. Uh, overcome the stammering lips of a servant and use your word, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. I, I want to focus just on a couple verses here, uh, starting particularly at verse 15 through 17. And if you're, if you're looking at your, your handout, the first thing that I see in this section is that the Bible teaches me how to live forever, right? He says, Timothy, you knew from the time you were a kid. Now, we know from earlier part of, of Timothy, 1 Timothy, that Timothy learned from his mother and grandmother. Remember their names? Eunice and Lois, Right? And he learned from them, and he learned the scriptures, and then Paul entered his life. And through Paul, he learned about Jesus. And from the time he was a little kid, boy, moms and dads, is there a good word here for us teaching kids scripture when they're young? From the time they're little kids, they, he's learned the scripture. And then he says that this scripture was able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Remember I told you at the beginning about uh, my experience as a teenager going into a church and hearing for the first time about Jesus? Where, where did I hear that? I heard it directly from somebody reading or quoting the Scripture. And as, as the Scripture was unfolded, one of the passages that has always been so precious to me is, is out of uh, 1 Corinthians, where he says um, that Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where Christ was made to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, where else am I going to find that truth other than Scripture? I'm not going to find it anywhere. It's in God's revealed word that I learned that Christ died for my sins. Do you... Do you sense how important it is that we go to Scripture for that truth and that we communicate that truth from, from the Lord, directly from the Lord, that this is his plan, that Jesus came to die for our sin? You aren't going to find it anywhere else. You're going to find it in God's book. And so he can teach me how to live forever. Christ said, John 5, he said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me. What's the message of the Scriptures? The message of the Scriptures is Jesus. That's the message. Uh, cover to cover, it's Jesus. You know, from, from science, from observation of things around me, I could learn a lot. Um, I think as a little kid, I sensed there had to be a creator, I can remember sitting on a log out in front of my parents' house, 
and looking up at the sky. Do you ever do that? Just look around, and as a little kid, you feel so tiny in the vastness of this universe. And I'd sit and look and just kind of contemplate life and what was ahead of me and look at the vast sky around me and the stars. And as a 12-year-old or so, I just had a sense this didn't come from nothing. And you can observe certain things from science. You probably could even nail down the fact that there is a creator. Intelligent creation, to me, makes sense. It's demanded by creation. Uh, Creation itself, something doesn't come from nothing, right? Something comes from the hand of a creator. And and so I, I believe that we can see a creator, but we wouldn't know him. And we wouldn't know his plan apart from Scripture. And we would certainly not know about salvation apart from Scripture. And so it's through Scriptures that I learn about living forever. It's as God tells me that. And do you know that God has gone to prepare a place for me? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me? Do you know that? And that where he is, I'm going to be also? Isn't that a good truth? Where did I find that? Oh, I found that in Scripture, John chapter 14, that he's gone to prepare a place for me. But the Lord doesn't leave us there, fortunately, because we live in the here and now. And so the Bible also teaches me how to live now, right now. And you look through this, and you see point by point, this God-breathed book, the first thing is that's profitable for reproof. How many of you like to be reproved? How many of you have ever been reproved by Scripture? I hope. Whether the spoken word or the read word. Um, Once in a while, it just gets on my nerves. The nerve of the Lord to instruct me like that. Uh, And and I've, I've been reproved. Even things like this. I think of Ephesians 4. He says, walk with one another in humility and gentleness and patience. Oh, hate that word, patience, and, and to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Have you always done that? Did, did that get on your nerves just a little bit? Well, there's others that could. We could go and we'll find some. But you know that the scripture can reprove you, don't you? You know that it can say, you're wrong in that attitude, you're wrong in that action, fix it. And, and that's a call that God can put on our life through Scripture, and he can reprove us. But not only does he reprove us, but look at the next word there. He says that uh, it's profitable for, first one is teaching. Teaching just, in the old King James, it said doctrine. It just means what we believe, and we already talked about that, what we believe. We believe about Jesus and our, our sin and how it's cared for. All of that's in Scripture. And then he reproves us, and then it goes on and says that, uh, uh, small print, that it's good for correction. Now, how is correction different than reproof? Well, the Lord got my attention through reproof, and now he's going to put me on a right path. He's going to correct my path. Instead of me being impatient, he's going to teach me to hold my tongue and to be patient. Uh, someone said it's, it's better to keep your mouth closed and people think you're a fool than to 
open your mouth and confirm it, right? You've heard that? Well, I've opened my mouth and confirmed it way too many times. And, and the Lord is helping me to learn to, to be quiet. Do you know sometimes the very best thing to say is nothing, right? And I, it's been a long time learning that. <laughs> I wish I'd learned it 50 years ago. Sometimes I just shouldn't say anything. That's the best thing to say. And, but how have I learned that? Well, I've learned that from the Lord. Proverbial wisdom. Read the Proverbs, and you'll see it there. And so the Lord not only reproves us and teaches us what to believe, but he also gives us a correct path. So it's good for correction. And then keep reading. And for training in righteousness. So now he gets me on the right path, and now he's going to train me. So let's, let's go back. The Bible teaches me how to live forever. The, teach, the Bible teaches me how to live now in this life. But then there's another thing we're going to see as we continue reading, is that the Bible teaches me my purpose for life. I believe it's right here, folks. And my purpose for life is not to consume stuff. Have you lived long enough? Some of you young people would have to shake your head no. But some of us know that this is true. Have you lived long enough to realize that having a whole bunch of stuff just doesn't put uh, the satisfaction to fill that hole in your heart. Have you learned that? I had a, a friend that I traveled to Ukraine with, and he was a medical doctor. And as you know, medical doctors do quite okay in the U.S. Thank you. They're doing fine. Most of them make a good living. And he had uh, left a private practice, and everything that he owned was tucked under the steps of his in-law's basement. You know, everything that he owned on earth was there. And he said he never felt such freedom in his entire life is when all of that stuff was gone. What did he learn? Well, he went to the Ukraine, and he began to practice medicine. But he began to practice medicine in a private clinic with the express purpose of sharing the Lord Jesus and telling others about Christ. And now he found purpose for life. And instead of being served, what was its purpose for life? It was serving. You can't fill the well if you're looking to be served. It's, it's a bottomless pit. You can't fill it. But begin to serve and begin to see the Lord use you in others' life. In fact, if you read on, he says that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. How, how do we do that? Well, we do that by serving others, by serving God's people. And that's his purpose for your life, is serving others. It's not to be served. If, if you live, and I've, this is redundant, I just said it, but let me say it again. If you live to be served, you're not going to be happy. Would somebody say amen to that? Is it true? If you live to serve... You could be happy. A professor at, uh, back in Bible college days was an um, interesting guy, James Kennedy. Had a, uh, he, fin- he had finished his master's at Dallas and was working on a doctorate at that point. You say people who have doctorate degrees, they make lots of money, right? Well, he uh, lived in a little cottage on campus, 
and they couldn't afford to buy a bed, so they slept on a mattress on the floor. And they did that for a long time. And yet, he was a happy guy. He was well satisfied. And he was satisfied because he was serving. And he got it. He saw it. He saw his purpose for life. His purpose for life was serving. Folks, I don't know everything about you, but this I know. Listen now. This I know. The purpose for your life is to serve. It's to serve the Lord Jesus and serve his people. That's the purpose for your life. The prophet has spoken. I know it's true. That's the purpose of your life. Application. Let's think about it for a moment. I, can we agree that the Bible is reliable? I, I, th- I hope so. And we can certainly trust the author. We know who wrote it, who, who inspired it. And, and can we agree that it's useful? I mean, it's useful in teaching us, correcting us, teaching us right path. And so here are some things that I need to invest myself in. I think first I need to invest myself in learning from the Bible. Don't we? That's pretty simple, pretty basic stuff. I I need to invest myself in it. Do I do it? Mm, Not always. I got lawn to mow. You know, I got mowers to fix. (sighs) I've got things to do. You know, I've got all kinds of things that can crowd it out. But I, I need to get it on a schedule. And I need to learn the Lord from Scripture. That's one. The, the second thing is I need to guard the authority of the Bible. That stained glass window will live in my memory for the rest of my life because I just have no confidence that they believe what that stained glass window said, which is Scripture. And, and so what should I do about that? Well, I think I need to guard the authority of Scripture in any way I can, in my circle, I need to guard the authority. I need to speak to it. I need to protect the authority of Scripture because it is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. And, and I need to stand for that, even when people don't want to hear it. And you're going to find that. Remember what he said later in chapter uh, 4? He said there's going to come a time people aren't going to want to hear it. And we can expect that. But I need to guard the authority. I need to live out the teaching of the Bible. When, the, when it tells me to learn patience, I need to be patient. And when it, when it tells me that I'm to share Christ with others, and that that's my, part of my purpose, then I, I, I need to share Christ with others. It's just part of my life. It's part of the rhythm of life. And I didn't add this, but I think that we should say just that. We need to share the word of God. Uh, we need to share it with the people in our community. You know, uh, Peter said, always be ready or be prepared for a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so what's the command on our life? To be ready to defend our faith. When someone ridicules it, to gently, patiently explain our faith and stand firm. I, uh, you know, certain experiences just come back in your mind. I was talking to a gentleman that I was actually working with. This was early in our married life. I was working for an electrical contractor. And um, this, I think this man was processing the Lord. I was young in the Lord and didn't know a lot. I just knew that Jesus had saved me and not much more than that. 
But we're talking, and, and in the course of the conversation, he asked me a really peculiar question. He said, do you tithe? And I thought about the question a moment. Uh, incidentally, we talked about tithing once, and I think tithing's a great starting point. I think it's a good principle. Um, do I think it's driven by the New Testament? Not necessarily, but I believe it's a good starting point. And uh, at, at that moment, I could say yes. And I could see that troubled him. Well, I know from later that money was really important to him. And it bothered him to think that if he came to faith in Christ, he may be expected to give something. Well, that's not a point of emphasis. We don't start talking to people about giving. He asked the question, and I had to answer it. And then, but as I got to know him, we talked. You know, I saw him about 20 years later in a Carter Lumber in Mogador, and I found that he not only was saved, but he was walking with Christ. Isn't that good? That this guy, and I don't think I had, I don't know that I had anything to do with it at all. I don't know if our conversations entered into it at all. But I did try to live that verse, is to, to answer for the faith that was in me. And tithing was such a, a small part of it. That's not where you start talking to people about Jesus when you talk about money. But we need to be prepared. You know, Howard Hendricks, anybody know that name? Howard Hendricks was a, a guy they called the prof. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary for many years. I think he taught a total of 52 years or something like that. And if you listen to Erwin Lutzer, if you listen to David Jeremiah, if you listen to Joe Stoll, any of these guys you listen to, uh, oh, I don't know who all, but if, if you listen to the people on radio, almost without exception, all of them will remember back to the prof, Howard Hendricks, and they sat under him in his 52 years. I think I heard that he had 10,000 students. Erwin um, Lutz or Tony Evans, uh, some of the people that sat under him. But let me give you a couple quotes from Howard Hendricks. You've heard this quote, but from my understanding, he's the one that started it. He said, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And that's a good quote, right? And it's a true quote. He went on to say, the Bible isn't written to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform to the image of Christ. Another good quote. Uh, I wish I'd have known Howard Hendricks. I didn't. Here's a quote from Phil Ross. You ready? You got your pens ready? Okay. Um, you know, thinking about the way we view Scripture, we can either determine to view our world and the Bible through the lens of culture. You know, understand what I'm saying? Or we can reverse that, and through the Bible we can see our world. And I'd say to you that we need to interpret our world through the lens of Scripture. And it's going to drive my decision-making. It's going to drive my value system, the lens of Scripture. I'm not going to allow the culture to determine my view of the Bible. Rather, I'm going to allow the Bible to determine my view of culture. And you can say that however you want, but I think it's important for us to see that. And then uh, just closing, I think I put this on there, but I, I believe this to be true. 
that all lasting and substantial faith in our supernatural creator God rests ultimately on the divine origin, inspiration, and infallible authority of the Bible as the book from God. If we lose sight of that, we're on a slippery slope, and there's no landing place. Uh, the Bible is God's book. Well, a little boring, a little lecture-like this morning, but I hope you got something out of this. What I hope you got is the, the confidence that when you pick up your Bible, you're picking up God's Word. You're picking up his love letter to you, his letter about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, words are cheap. I know that. It, we can speak, sometimes even speak things that we believe and, and then do nothing with them. But Lord, I pray first for myself that as I uh, spend my days, the free hours, Lord, would you help me to determine anew, to learn you, to know you, to know your ways through this Bible that you've given. And Lord, I pray that where I need corrected, where I need rebuked, God, use your word to rebuke and correct Lord, I pray that you'd use it to train me in a right path, that I'd know how to live. I need that. And God, I pray that for all of us. And then, Lord, as I, I think of the message of the Bible, that Jesus came as our substitute, as our Savior, and that through him, through his shed blood, we can have total confidence that we're going to live with you forever. Lord, that is the love message of the Bible. I pray that if there's anyone here who's never come to faith in Jesus as Savior, that you'd help them to see that. And that maybe today, this day, they would place their trust, their faith in you. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Uh, thank you for teaching us, communicating through us, loving us enough to reveal yourself to us. We give you thanks. You are good. We claim it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh